0: From the Mercy One studio. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith.
1: Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano, is in session.
0: And good Thursday morning from our virtual Mercy One studios in West Des Moines. Gina and I are both coming to you via Skype, so we're going to try and keep our technical difficulties to a minimum this hour. Uh, Gina, how are you?
2: I'm well this morning. Thank you, Deacon Mike.
0: This is the first time I can see you since you got back from Florida because we're both on Skype where we can see one another now. It works out a lot better that way, I think. I, I think it will. I think it will. Okay, we have a a nice uh, uh, program for you today. What we're going to do is we're going to be talking with Jafford Jamel, who is professor at the Anton Scalia School of Law at George Mason University. He served as associate counsel to the president in the White House uh, in the George W. Bush administration. And we're going to talk to him about how uh, the courts, and especially the Supreme Court of the United States, is um, handling things during this shutdown. I know they're doing phone conversations or phone hearings and things like that so it's going to be a little bit different for everybody we'll find out how the courts are doing it, and then we're going to talk with Robert Muse who is the chief counsel co-founder of the American Freedom Law Center in Ann Arbor Michigan and we're going to talk about some of the constitutional challenges to some of these stay-at-home orders especially as they pertain to church services um, so that's what we have online for us today uh, Gina do you have a prayer to open us up with?
2: Yes, I do. On this very COVID, coronavirus-heavy show today, I'm going to pray for peace around the world. So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women, and peace among the nations of the earth. Turn your way of love, those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us in hope and give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among the nations and in the hearts of all.
0: Amen. Thank you very much. You know, doing a show from home over Skype is a little bit different than doing it in the radio studio. And uh, what I'm concerned about is I've got a cat wandering around here that uh, likes to help me when I'm writing my stuff on a computer, and I have a feeling she may want to pop in and help us out with the radio
2: program. So if you hear a meow uh, (laughs) or a screech, uh, that's Gilligan. I just hope she doesn't hit your power button. I'm not sure I can do the show without you.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm sure you could, but I don't know how she can uh, hit the power button from where she's at. But she does find a lot of things to hit. Uh, She's uh, turned off my answering machine. Uh, She gets up by the window to look out, and she pushes the wrong buttons, and I don't get any messages. She's changed the alarm clock so it goes off in the middle of the night. Uh, And uh, I'm sure she doesn't intend to do that, but uh, that's just the way cats
2: are, I guess. I read your most recent column, and it sounds like she drinks your coffee in the morning. Also,
0: she does. She does. She sticks her head in uh, in the coffee pot and uh, and laps it up. And so now I have a buzzed cat. Uh, I have never. Heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> she does. And it's a good thing I only have coffee in there. If I didn't have something else, it uh, <laughs> <pretty> <laughs> might really hurt her. Yeah.
2: Well, good. Well, good. So we have a very coronavirus uh, centric uh, show today. Right. We know that a virus could affect religious liberty so,
0: so closely. And, and, and it does. And it does. And we're going to be back with uh, Jaffar Jamal Jamel in just a minute. We're going to take a short break uh, to pay some bills around here and then we will be back with our first guest.
3: Impoverished children break everyone's heart, but poverty seems like such a big problem. What can one person do to make a difference? For 17 years, Blessman International's passion has been to connect the resources of our donors with sustainable programs that impact the lives of impoverished children in South Africa. Our donors are feeding thousands of hungry children every week, providing basic water and sanitation for impoverished communities, and sharing the love of God in practical ways every day. Go to www.blessmaninternational.org and make your donation today.
1: or more commonly known, the abortion pill. At InterVisions Healthcare, we do not provide the abortion pill, but we do provide the medical information required to make an informed decision. If a woman regrets taking the first pill, she can come to InterVisions to help reverse the effects. Our nursing staff is trained in the abortion pill reversal protocol, a relatively new medical procedure, but we need your help in getting the word out. For more information on the free medical services at InterVisions Healthcare or to support the mission, visit IVHcare.org.
0: and we're back we have with us now Jaffer Jamel who is a professor of law at George Mason University in the Anton Scalia School of Law and uh, as I mentioned before he served as White House counsel so he's got a lot of experience and I want to talk to him today about uh, uh, what is going on with the courts, notably the Supreme Court, in this uh, uh, corona uh, atmosphere. So, uh, Jamel, good morning. Welcome to our program, and thank you for joining us. Deacon, thanks for having me. Certainly.
2: Good morning. This is morning. Gina here. Um, we're glad you're able to join us today. Uh, why don't you give us a little idea of what your um, connection with the Supreme Court has been over your career?
6: Sure. So uh, so I uh, when I was a young lawyer, uh, ended up working at a law firm in Washington, D.C., where uh, there was a, a young partner named Neil Gorsuch at the law firm. And we uh, we overlapped for a couple of months before he went to the Justice Department. I then seven months later, went to the Justice Department. Also, he became a mentor to me. Um, and when he became a judge on the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals in Denver, Colorado, I went and spent four months with him as one of his first law clerks um, on the Tenth Circuit. Um, and then, of course, you know, a decade later, uh, that same uh, young partner at, uh, at that law firm uh, became a Supreme Court justice. And uh, I had a chance, again, much later in my career uh, to go work at the Supreme Court for him for the first four months of his time on that court. Um, and so uh, so I've spent some time at the, the court building in, inside the chambers working with Justice Gorsuch. Uh, it's been a, been a, an honor uh, to work with, uh, with an amazing American like him.
2: I can only imagine. Um, so, to give us an idea for the listeners who are not. out. Deacon Mike is an attorney. You may not know this, sure. but he is an attorney, a very well-established one. And I myself, try and
0: be an attorney. I'm, I'm <laughs> st- <laughs> the license says I can practice law. Okay,
2: <laughs> but I have no background in law. Um, I'm more from the activism side. So, for our listeners who are not lawyers, why don't you give us an idea of what the Supreme Court, um, the importance of the Supreme Court, and this, uh, the effect of the shutdown. Uh, on that importance.
6: Of course. Well, as your listeners probably know, the Supreme Court of the United States is the highest court in in the country. I mean, it hears a very small number of cases a year, um, about, you know, anywhere, ballpark about 70 cases a year. Uh, That's on about 7,000 petitions for review it receives. So that means about 1% of the cases uh, that people ask it to hear it hears. And when I say hears, what that means is it agrees to review the case. It's a case that might arise out of the federal courts. It might arise out of the state courts where there's, where there's a dispute or an issue of constitutional, federal constitutional law or a federal statute, um, and they ultimately resolve these disputes between the lower courts, the courts of appeals, the district courts, the state courts, um, on issues of federal importance or issues of federal law. And so, um, you know, these are these are big cases; they matter a lot. Some of them uh, come out and are non-controversial. They come out nine-zero. There are nine Supreme Court justices. You need. Five to decide your way for you to win in the Supreme Court. At the end of the day, the Supreme Court is the final voice in the United States on questions of what the Constitution means, what the Constitution says, and on what federal law means and what federal law says. Um, and so that can have a big impact on people's daily lives. It can have a big impact on uh, what states can and can't do. Um, and so it's a very important institution, as you can imagine. Um, and so with respect to coronavirus, um, The Supreme Court, like everybody, uh, is now the justices are working from home, um, and uh, they're not working in chambers. They're not uh, hearing arguments. What will happen is when the Supreme Court grants a case, uh, the parties will file briefs, um, and then they'll go to the court and they'll make their case uh, in about an hour, half an hour each side, uh, to these nine justices, and then they'll go and decide the case. So now the court has just announced in the last few days uh, that they will be holding oral arguments, as they call them, but they'll be doing it by phone. So this is a new... A change in their practice. They don't typically do that, and so we'll see that beginning. So, just like every one of us in America who are sitting at home, um, you know, thinking about how to make our, our make make our our, our days uh, work out and our work get done, Supreme Court justices and their staff are doing the same thing from their homes and uh, and not being at their workplace.
2: Wow, that'll be a, um, a big change for the attorneys making the arguments because. Um, I have an Italian descent and a lot of time I make my arguments using body language as well as my, uh, voice. Um, how do you think that'll affect some of the outcomes of these cases? No, that's a it's a great
6: point. You know, um, obviously a lot of the, uh, thinking about these cases is done beforehand by the justices. They, um, they read the briefs uh, very closely. Their staffs read the briefs. They have these law clerks. Each of them has four law clerks, but she just gets five because he's got a little bit of a higher workload. Um, and uh, and they read the cases, they think hard about them. They come up with questions to ask. Oral argument is an opportunity for them to get clarification. Right? This this, thing, this argument you made, it's you know, it's, it's the argument made in the opposite way by the other side. Why why are they wrong? Why are you right? They get to tease out some of these harder questions, and so uh, it can make or break a case. Oftentimes, even though a lot of the work is done ahead of time, and you're right, people often communicate by body language, intonation, and the like, and that's hard to communicate on a phone call, and so. It may change the dynamic. I don't know that it'll change outcomes necessarily, but certainly can have an impact on how the justices hear and receive the case. As you know, some people are visual learners, and that can make a difference too.
2: Exactly. And it would be difficult for the arguments are the attorneys making the arguments because they can't see the reactions of the judges either.
6: No, that's exactly right. And one of the interesting things about the Supreme Court in particular is that you, the justices sit in almost sort of a – a a modified horseshoe. And so they can see each other and the lawyers. And oftentimes the justices will try to use their questions to lawyers to make a point to the other justices and sort of try to tease out a line of argument. And oftentimes you'll know that they're doing that if they look over at the other justice or sort of their body language also conveys something. And so you're right, not just for the lawyers, but for the other justices. Um, Some of that can be conveyed in tone and questions, but also some of that, as you point out rightly, is conveyed in sort of the mannerism when you're there in person.
2: So I had read somewhere that um, when the um, um, shutdown came into effect, the uh, Supreme Court had canceled uh, many cases, not canceled, but postponed. So um, the last, what, maybe 30 days, they haven't been hearing any cases. What right. what cases are, what happens to those? Now we have a backlog, I imagine, and um uh, do they start from where they left off, or do they start with what was scheduled originally and then try to fit in these other cases that were uh, skipped over?
6: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know exactly how they're handling it. My my assumption, and I could be mistaken, but my assumption is uh, they, will def- well, they will certainly try and get through all the cases this term. Now, the term, interestingly, the Supreme Court runs from October of 2019, typically through the end of June uh, of 2020. Now, they can extend that if they want, and so they may extend it, right? Um, in order to get all the cases, and I expect sure. that they will hear arguments in all the cases they have to hear arguments in, and we'll try to decide all those cases in the in the given time frame. Um, what in terms of scheduling, what they'll probably do, and I and I should double check this, uh, but my my assumption is that they will continue to hear the cases they were scheduled to hear, and for the ones that got missed during that one month period, they'll try to reschedule them sometime in the wind in that window. Um, and how will a set a series of additional argument sessions? If I had to bet. Uh, But I bet they'll try to get through all their work and try to get all that work done by June, and if not, then maybe they'll extend into July a little bit.
0: So I'm uh, wondering if they may uh, decide to, uh, uh, I guess, defer on the oral arguments for a while and just take some of the cases in brief uh, without the oral arguments. You know, Deacon, that is a
6: possibility they could do that. Typically, uh, by this point in the term, um, they've decided to have arguments in these cases. They could switch that in some cases. They do that do that once in a rare while. Uh, but my guess is they'll try to get through the oral arguments in as many of these cases they've granted arguments in as possible. Um, and my guess is, if I if I was a betting man, and again, I'm not uh, I'm not saying they will, but uh, that if they had to, they'd probably extend the term a little bit to try and get this stuff done and get the arguments done. We do know that they are going to do some arguments by phone, so we'll see how that goes. If that works well, then perhaps they continue with more of that.
0: When they schedule the oral arguments, um, and I take it uh, when they have oral arguments, each side <clears throat> has a set amount of time, and uh, and that usually is standard. Can they shorten those oral, oral arguments? Can they go from, say, an hour to um, half an hour or something like that to kind of move through them a little bit quicker?
6: <clears throat> sure,
0: they could. they could. They could tighten up the argument schedule. They
6: could also um extended if they needed to uh in other cases. Uh, they've been known to do that once in a rare while. Um and so we could see that happen too. That's a great thought about how they might uh, deal with some of this. Um and there is, by the way, uh as as you were as you were saying earlier, there is some precedent for moving cases to the next term. So for example, um if there uh if the justices can't agree because they're say there there's a justice who's been recused um or a justice uh has passed away and the and their their successor hasn't been confirmed, sometimes they'll want to reschedule cases because they don't have a they don't have unanimity or they don't have a majority in one side or another, or they just think it's important to wait for the next justice to join the court, so they may reschedule to the next term, that could happen here, too, just because of the workload. It would not be unheard of the case will get decided just in the next October term a few months later, and so that's also a possibility. Um, but we'll see going forward. You know, there are important cases, as, as you and your listeners, I'm sure know. There's the Louisiana uh, a hospitals case. There's cases involving uh, religious schools, which of course are critical to your listeners and very important for the nation. Right. Right. Cases involving Second Amendment rights, a lot of really important cases this term.
2: So, usually, um, there's interested individuals and uh, members of the press allowed into the hearings or uh, during the arguments. Uh, will they be allowed to be on these uh, calls? You know that's a great question and a question I
6: unfortunately don't have an answer to. Um, I, I, sh- I will look into that and if you have me back on, I'd be happy to let your listeners know. I I don't know. I would assume the answer is yes. Of course, they have to have to figure out how to put them in listen only mode. Um, my guess I I do know that they will definitely be making public a, a uh, the audio of the arguments as they have been done uh, pretty regularly now at, at arguments of the court. I don't know if actually on the call itself uh they'll be able to have members of the media and the public. I think their general inclination is to do that, yes, but if not, they will immediately after the argument make the make the audio available on the Supreme Court's website. So at a minimum within an hour or two of the argument being completed, uh, the public and, and the media will have access to that argument if they're not on the call itself.
0: And then their conferences after the uh, oral arguments, are they gonna uh, I suppose hold those by Skype or something like that?
6: You know, that's a great question. Um, you know, the, the court, as you, as you correctly point out, um, uh, uh, will, will meet in conference, uh, before cases are argued to decide what they're gonna have, what they're gonna hear, right? What they're gonna grant for that term. Um, and then after, every day after argument, uh, they go, um, they take a break, have lunch, and then they meet, and they discuss the cases that were argued that day, and oftentimes will hold their vote on how they want to decide it, and we'll assign opinions and the like, um, if there's agreement on, on, on the outcome of the case. Um, that's going to be harder because they're going to have to probably do that telephonically also. And, and even more so perhaps than what happens in, uh, during, the, during the oral arguments, body language, intonation might matter a lot. And so um, it'll be interesting. I don't know if they'll get together in person to do that. I would assume not given the, uh, the CDC recommendations. Um, and you know, the, just to be candid, the age of some of the justices. Um, but, uh, but I guess they will do it telephonically. I do know that um, when there are other uh, matters that, are, that need to be done in an expedited manner, say there's a death penalty case uh, that's being appealed, um, they do sometimes do conferences by phone to discuss uh, the case, and so they'll they'll do that in a secure manner. Um, but yeah, I would assume they'll do conference by phone. is my is my best guess. I don't know if the Supreme Court uh, will do Skype or Zoom. I think uh, that might be asking a lot of uh, of um, of, uh, of these nine uh, Supreme Courters. We know some young justices like uh, Justice Kavanaugh, and Justice Gorsuch, but some of them are older, and you know, um, you know, I. I who knows what they have at their homes in terms of laptops? I'm sure they all have,
0: have some young clerks that can help them <laughs> set up the Skype and whatever they need to For do. Sure. Uh, just one, one other thing I wanted to ask you. You mentioned the assignment of cases. Why don't you explain uh, to the listeners how how the r- written uh, assignments are made? In other words, who's going to write the sure. majority opinion? Who's going to write the uh, dissent? Who's going to whatever?
6: Yeah. So what will happen is um, the justices will meet after an argument. Uh, They'll meet in this room and they'll discuss the case, Um, and then they'll take a vote on how the case should come out. If there's a majority, that is to say, five justices or more, um, in one direction, the most senior justice um, in the majority will assign the opinion to either themselves or another member of the majority side. Right. And so, um, and seniority on the. And that's always the chief
0: justice if he's in that
6: side. Hey, it was about exactly, Deacon, I was about to say exactly that, which is uh, that seniority is determined by how long a justice has been on the court, with one exception. No matter how long the chief justice has been on the court, if he or she is in the majority, um, they will assign the case, in this case, Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, but but if it's not the chief justice, if they're in the minority, then the most senior justice uh, will assign the majority opinion. Same thing for the dissent. If there are dissenting voices, and sometimes there aren't, sometimes there aren't, um, then that, uh, the, the most senior person on that side of the, of the case will assign a justice, and they'll either be themselves or another member of the dissenting side.
0: Okay, and then uh, additional dissents and concurring opinions uh, can just be done, I guess, almost at will.
6: Correct, exactly right. Any justice can write separately if they choose to, uh, and those, those separate writings can be as much as you know, dozens and dozens of pages. It can be as, as simple as a single line, I disagree or I agree for the following three reasons. Um, And what's interesting about that is, depending on how a majority is composed and what people agree with in the majority opinion, parts of an opinion might be binding law, and some of them might simply just be prescriptive guidance from the court um, if they don't have a majority of voices or justices voting for that proposition in an opinion. So it's a really interesting dynamic when you think about what is the actual law that comes out of a given case.
0: Yeah, I know uh, in reading some of the dissents and even the concurring opinions, it kind of modifies what might have been a strong uh, majority opinion. Now, all of a sudden, you got some questions about whether you, know, you have a majority of the judges on one point that feel uh, differently. Exactly,
6: and they might agree in the outcome, but how, not how they got their own right. legal reasoning. And so sometimes if that's a difference, then how the courts below, the courts of appeals and the district courts apply that, to make a big difference in outcomes for individual cases going forward.
0: And how future lawyers in the, in the cases argue those cases, too. That exactly right. Deal. Exactly right.
6: Oh, and one other thing we should mention um, uh, before we leave this topic is that, you know, as the justices are writing their opinions and they're circulating them to the other justices to get them to join their opinion, uh, agree with their reasoning or the like, or not write separately... Um, majorities and views and ultimate case outcome can sometimes, in rare cases, change even, right? Uh, because people are convinced no. by the force of other, somebody else's views. And so there's a constant dialogue going on at the court as the opinions are being written all the way until the day the case is decided. That typically will come out the same way they decided at a conference, but not always. And so that's just part of the process. So these judges are not necessarily, you know, lockstep with a position or a political party or a or a view – if they're good judges, they're going with where the law takes them, where the force of the arguments are, not just some predecided view of the world.
0: Yeah, I've heard of some majority opinions being turned into dissents because exactly the majority right. switches whether whether are passing these uh, uh, drafts around. Exactly right. And, you know,
6: one of the things that Justice Gorsuch always talked about when he was a nominee, and I've seen him do this when he was a judge on the Tenth Circuit and since he's been a justice, look, if you're a good judge, you're not going to always agree with the outcome in the case from a personal perspective, right? You're gonna wanna go where the law requires. because Remember the job of the judge is not to invent the law or to create it. In our system that's reserved to the President and the Congress, the political branch of the government. The job of the judges is to interpret the law written by our framers in the Constitution or written by our legislators in Congress and the President in our federal laws. It's not to make it up as they go along, and so sometimes judges will have to decide cases in ways they don't like. If you're a judge, just of course, you should always say this, if you're a judge who always agrees to outcome in a case, then you're probably not a very good judge.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, Jaffer, we're just about out of time now, but we do want to have you back because we want to pick your brain about how some of these uh, cases on the docket might come out. Uh, but we'll get you back and talk to you a little bit later about that. But thank you for joining us today. We certainly appreciate your time. And like I say, we'll have you back. Thank you. Thanks so much, Deacon Jean. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. I- Professor Jaffer Jamal of the Anton Scalia School of Law at George Mason University. And we will be right back after these messages.
3: Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know.
1: or more commonly known, the abortion pill. At InterVisions Healthcare, we do not provide the abortion pill, but we do provide the medical information required to make an informed decision. If a woman regrets taking the first pill, she can come to InterVisions to help reverse the effects. Our nursing staff is trained in the abortion pill reversal protocol, a relatively new medical procedure, but we need your help in getting the word out. For more information on the free medical services at InterVisions Healthcare or to support the mission, visit IVHcare.org.
4: What is the best gift ever? Well, some might say a Catholic education, and I agree. But if you think you can't afford Catholic education, think again. Apply for CTO, and you could receive up to half your tuition for kindergarten through 12th grade. More information is online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the
5: kids and their future.
0: Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Low pressure moving to our south will bring us some rain and snow showers through the afternoon. A little bit of accumulation and our high topping out in the mid-30s. Snow likely overnight, a couple of inches possible with our low in the upper 20s. Mostly sunny and a little bit warmer tomorrow, upper 40s. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio i
2: Welcome back to Iowa Catholic Radio's Faith on Trial. Um, We're having some technical difficulty. It sounds like um, Mike's mic might be muted. Um, We will uh, try to bring him back in here in a second. We're looking forward to a conversation with Robert Muse, the chief counsel and co founder of the American Freedom Law Center from Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's our um, expert today to talk about constitutional law dedicated to defending religious liberty and the freedom of speech and the right to life. Are you with us, Robert?
8: I am. Thank you for having me.
2: Yes. Um, Why don't you give us a little bit of a highlight on, um, until we can get Mike back in here, a little highlight on um, the uh, church closings that have been mandated by this uh, coronavirus shutdown
8: you know it's it's interesting. Here I am in uh, in Michigan, and, and in fact, I've had uh, I just filed my second lawsuit against the the governor um, for the draconian measures that she put in place, the executive order. But she uh, has permitted religious worship uh, places to be to be open. Um, unfortunately, the 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 local bishops have decided on their own to not have uh public mass or or any other um you know public gatherings although at my at my uh local parish the uh, the priest leaves the church open people can come in and pray in the church keeping social distancing they're still he's still holding confessions um throughout this uh this time so I'm I'm really uh, grateful um for that but there but the bishop has not allowed public masses so it's it's kind of interesting and you know, I, I've obviously been been reading and seeing these cases uh, across the country where um, these churches are suing to uh, to try to have um, services. You know, whether they're the Protestant services and it, some of them, they're not even allowed to have you know, people driving into the parking lot and uh, and observe the uh, you know the services that are taking place and 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 then the, you know police are walking around to the vehicles and handing out tickets to the individuals and if anything, they're the ones that are more likely spreading. Uh, the disease and people who are staying isolated in the, with their own household and their own vehicles. Um, so it's, it's really, this is, these are very interesting times. And, you know, it's, when, if we lose liberty, it, it could be lost forever. And I think it was John Adams that uh, reminded us of that. And this is one of the reasons why I filed two federal lawsuits against our governor for the various restrictions that, uh, that she's put in place. We have to be exceedingly vigilant during this time and, and encroachment upon religious freedom. Right, it's one of our fundamental freedoms. It's set forth in the in the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, and uh, you know we have an absolute fundamental right to to the free exercise of religion. There is case law going way back to you know the 1900s from the Supreme Court that does vest you know quite a bit of authority in executives, governors, and the likes when there is a serious public emergency to put in place measures that are. Um, that are, you know, rationally related to, to promoting public health and to avert this danger. But if there is a, and this is almost a direct quote from the court, yes. if there's, you know, a plain palpable invasion of rights secured by fundamental law, in this case the First Amendment, it's the duties of the courts to so a judge to give effect to the Constitution. Again, that's what the Supreme Court said. So while there is a great deal of deference and there might be measures that can be put in place or even mandated, that could protect, um, you know, the, the public health and public safety, to just have an outright ban on religious worship or people being able to travel to places of worship and the likes, um, that's incredibly uh, dangerous. And, uh, you know, I, I, and I, and I know there's legal challenges to some of these across the country, and, and I, I do
0: hope that they uh, they ultimately prevail. Did they get me back yet? Yep, I can in. hear you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what happened to my thing. I think uh cat may have disconnected me or something. <laughs> Robert, we're glad to have you back. Uh, We've had you on the program before uh, in in our earlier iteration of the program a couple years ago. Now they've put us back. And when I saw some of these cases coming up, you were the first person I thought of uh, to talk about uh, uh, the religious liberty and some of the other liberties that are being infringed upon with some of these stay-at-home orders. Uh, I know you've had a couple of cases recently with uh, your governor up there. Where you've been suing her, and I also know you've been suing your uh, state attorney general, um, Ms. Nussel, um, uh, and we'll have to have you back and discuss all of that <laughs> at another time, especially when we get my technology working here. But uh, what's, what's the rub against uh, the governor right now uh, of, uh, according to your lawsuits that you've filed?
8: Right. Well, the, the first one we filed, actually, we, we did very quickly. It was on behalf of uh, pro-life demonstrators. You know, our, our governor, um, you know, she's she's a progressive. She's allowing, you know, the marijuana shops to stay open. She's allowing the abortion centers to stay open, even though abortions an elective procedure never necessary for the, you know, to save the life of a mother and is contrary to what the stated purpose of the order is to sustain and protect life. So she's leaving them open. And and her executive order, the stay-at-home order, um, allowed for individuals to engage in outdoor activities such as cycling, hiking, walking, walking your dog. Um, And I represented uh, three pro-lifers, one in particular, uh, Andrew Belanger, who was outside of an abortion mill in Detroit, and 15 police officers. We have this all on video. You can't make this up. Fifteen police officers, eight cruisers showed up. For so this one pro lifer holding a, a sign on the public sidewalk preaching, and he was issued a criminal citation for a misdemeanor for violating the governor's order. So meanwhile, on that same public sidewalk, you could walk your dog, you could you could jog, you could do you know any number of things, but you can't engage in what is uh, constitutionally protected under the First Amendment. So we uh, we sued, and, and that case got resolved very quickly. We um, after we sued, uh, about six days later, the government. The governor uh, was essentially forced by our lawsuit to give uh, guidance that uh, clarified that her orders do not violate the uh, exercise of First Amendment rights outside, and that the you know these pro-lifers were permitted to uh, to do what they were doing. So we uh, we entered into a stipulated order, which was filed this week and signed by the judge, um, setting forth that guidance as a matter of a, a court order permitting First Amendment activity on the on the public sidewalks and dismissing the uh, the criminal um, citation that was issued against Andrew Belanger. So that was a quick strike victory. Um, and interestingly, you know, yesterday, and this got a lot of national attention, there was a huge protest outside of our Capitol by people who are, are just uh, incensed with the restrictions that our governor put in place. Thousands of people assembled. They drove their cars um, through
0: the Well, it's been all the over city. the national news, yeah. It has, yeah. And I was thinking, you know, you weren't um, and, in one of those cars, were you?
8: No, no, actually I was basically <laughs> working on a second lawsuit that I filed against the governor uh, challenging some of the very same restrictions that they were protesting. But I was thinking to myself, yeah, it's because we filed our lawsuit a week ago and, and that forcing the governor to acknowledge that uh, the First Amendment rights are still protected, that uh, none of these people were issued any citations for doing so. So these things have, you know, ripple effects in ways that are, that promote the the public good, which is why, you know, we're a public interest law firm, so we see cases in the public interest. The second round of uh, litigation, um, on April 9th, she doubled down on her executive order and just imposed some absolutely absurd restrictions. I'm representing uh, three people in this lawsuit. In fact, I'm one of the people. I'm one of the plaintiffs. um, I'm assuming on my own behalf and two other Michigan residents, um who have she's banned travel if you own a cottage up north in the state right an isolated cottage in the woods on a lake up north you can't travel from your own residence to that cottage i mean i could drive that in the news yes that's a big story you you, you know she allows people to drive for gas and groceries and everything else as she's as she's, she's um should you know sometimes i feel like i'm living in china for goodness sakes with some of these restrictions but they can't even go to so I could I could my clients could literally drive to the county where their their homes are located their homes up north are located you know a second residence for, for most of them and you know go to the grocery store and, and go to the get gas but I couldn't you know walk in the walk on my property or else it's a, it's a criminal violation yeah I mean the and, and and where, and when you're
0: in the grocery store you can't buy non-essential items
8: well, it's it's interesting because some of the things they close off. I could go to. The, there's nothing under the order that would prohibit me from going to a grocery store and buying a pack of gum. I mean, it's just uh, the, some of these things are ludicrous. You can go to a pet store. I could go to a pet store and buy you know food for my goldfish, but I can't go to my own home up north. Yeah. And one of the other things she did is she modified what the she she kept in place these old reach, old regulations, federal regulations in terms of what's considered critical infrastructure, which was dated March 19th. There were new ones issued March 28th where the federal government made clear that uh, the firearms manufacturers and ammunition manufacturers, I'm a strong advocate of, you know, the Second Amendment. I was the Marines for 13 years. I'm an avid hunter. And the Second Amendment's important. I mean, it's, it's there to prevent tyranny against the government, especially during these times of crisis where there's a lot of panic, unemployment, poverty. I mean, there could be a proliferation of crime. And she what, she purposely relied on the old... Uh, critical infrastructure regulations, which did not exclu- which did not include, you know, firearms manufacturers, retailers, and shooting ranges and the like. So she shut that down, which is a violation of the of the Second Amendment. So again, I could go to a pet store and buy you know food for my goldfish, but I couldn't go to a firearm store and buy a firearm or ammunition as it is my Second Amendment right to do so. Uh, the, 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 and then the if you go to a big box
0: sense. store, you can't buy a garden hose.
8: You can't right. You can't buy. So I can you know you can go to Target, I guess, right? And you can you can go buy a gallon of milk, but you can't, you know, take two steps to the left and pick up a birthday card for your you know, for your wife. These things are crazy. And one of the other reasons that I'm um suing is that you know, I can't I you know, I've been blessed with twelve children, my wife and I. We have three of our kids are married, they all live locally. We have ten grandchildren, <laughs> ten grandchildren, two more on the way. And uh, you know, I can't see them. I am if if my kids come to my house. They, we could we could all be charged with a, a criminal misdemeanor. This is China. This is unbelievable. I, I you know I had a good friend that just last night sent me a text asking, "Is it okay if I go to St. Thomas and pray at the church? I don't want to get ticketed." And uh, you know I'm looking at this text and thinking, "My goodness, seriously, this is where we are in the United States of America." You know, it's everybody looking over their shoulder. Two kids were fishing at on a uh, dock near my daughter's house, who, who lives a. Uh, uh, not too far from us here, and uh, she lives in Dexter, the town over from Ann Arbor. And the, the police ticketed them. A neighbor apparently called the police on them and for these two boys that were standing on a pier fishing. It's it's just, it's become crazy.
2: And Well, you know, it we, sounds we, we like put, all of these injustices on the liberties of Michi- Michiganers? Michiganers? Yes, Michig- uh, Michiganders, yes. There you go. They uh, have kept you incredibly. Busy during this shutdown. Um, how are the courts? How are they operating to be able to respond to these kinds of things?
8: Well, I, I typically file in federal court, and all federal courts belong to this electronic filing system, which is actually very good. Um, I can I can literally sit at my you know kitchen table and file a brief in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit in California. You know, simply, so you have to be admitted and everything else. And I am admitted to many courts around here, but we file electronically. We've um, we've been uh, serving the complaints, requesting that the uh, the government officials that were suing that they uh, accept service via email, which all of them have. I mean, they've actually been cooperative. In fact, uh, we uh, we sued the the governor yesterday, and we sent the complaint to her chief legal counsel uh, last night, and he sent us an email this morning agreeing that he'll accept service. Um, and we it, everything is filed electronically. The courts uh, have been holding hearings when when necessary. Via Zoom or a teleconference, um, and so you know they've been been managing. We can't. I mean, we can't shut down the courts because that's our only recourse to be, able you to know, fight back against these uh, these really dick, uh, you know dictatorial orders that are coming from the uh, from the governors. I mean, it's, it's
0: draconian.
8: It's, it's tyranny. It's dr- dr- draconian restrictions, and it's pure tyranny. And it's just it's. I'm sitting here in my home, you know, in Michigan, wondering, you know, my goodness, this is. This is again. I feel like I'm I'm living in China, and that one of my biggest concerns I have, and one of the one of the primary reasons why I'm um, fighting all these things as much as I as hard as I can, is that I don't want this to become the new norm, right? That's because these these flu viruses, granted, you know, the COVID nineteen has been unique in so many ways, but you know, the jury to me is still out in terms of you know how uh, you know how how much of a a a crisis this was compared to other times like swine flu and and the likes. but every year you know end of fall early you know through the winter and early spring it's flu season there's some new strain of flu there's some new are we going to be going through this these sort of gyrations every single time because politicians don't feel that if they you know if they don't impose all these restrictions and these social you know distancing and everything else that they're going to be held accountable for every person who might pass away from this virus, even though every year, you know, tens of thousands of people die from the flu. Um, It's just, just, you know, whereas a Rahm Emanuel is they're going to let a good crisis go to waste, that's what I'm concerned, is that they're going to use this crisis
0: to waste our Constitution. I can understand um, the uh, conservative nature of some of these people, that they want to make sure that they uh, take care of everything what else motivates them i mean this this seems to be kind of like a power surge that went to their head or something
8: yeah like well, i you know there's the old saying that you know power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely i think there is this, okay. this this thirst this thirst for power this sense that they're totally in control and it's it is it's it's very um, you know it's a, it's a frightening dynamic that we're um, that we're seeing uh, take place and you know for our governor quite frankly i think she was Trying to audition to be the uh, the VP nominee,
0: right? She's the one that yeah, gave I the think response to the state of right. Union. Yeah,
8: but, but well I can tell you this thing has blown up in her face. Whoever's been advised, oh yeah, she shot
0: herself in the foot with this.
8: Oh, she, oh, they, I think it's over. I mean, it's over yeah. for her. This is this has been horrible. In fact, there I I had heard there's a you know there's a recall petition that's out there that has like hundreds of thousands of signatures.
0: So yeah, yeah the this, technicality this on that is I understand, it's not the petition is not in the proper legal form that it should be in so they're they're going to have an excuse maybe not to put that yeah, to a well, vote or something but
8: yeah, well yeah part of the problem is going to be is and and this is one of the other things that's interesting, right you have a right to canvas the signatures and to get these petitions but people can't so i think you know yeah. they've been trying to sign them electronically and do in other ways which which might make them uh, defective but i can to the sentiment is there and so when these things reach you know, lift to the point where people can actually get out there and start signing. I, I think you're going to see uh, you're going to see this thing you know coming back up again.
0: But it's Robert, uh, we're about out of time right now. But yeah. before I go, I want you to give us your uh, web page address for anybody that like to follow you or even make a donation to your organization.
8: Well, I appreciate. It. We are a five hundred one c three. all the legal work we do is pro bono for the good. We don't charge for our services. We rely on generous donations americanfreedomlawcenter.org um you can donate right there online you can sign up for our email blast and that way you'll get updates as, uh, on all these cases um, if you like and we don't flood your inbox we we only you know send them out when uh, when absolutely necessary so but I appreciate, uh, appreciate being on your show and, and for well, you. Well, thank you. And we're going to have
0: you back because I want to talk about Dana Nussel, uh, your <laughs> yeah. attorney general up there in another yeah. case. And I know you're going toe-to-toe with her in something else. So we'll yes. bring you back for that. Thank you for joining Great. us today. We certainly appreciate your time. Robert Muse, senior counsel and co-founder of the American Freedom Law Center. This is Faith on Trial in Iowa County. We will be back in a minute.
4: What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line,
5: it's for the kids
4: and their future.
3: Doing what is challenging because it's right. That's Blackbird Investments. In 2013, Blackbird Investments was born from the inspiration of St. Kevin. When it comes to building real estate, they look for creative solutions by forming strategic alliances, creating energy-efficient buildings, and engaging with local craftsmen. At its core, Blackbird Investments believes in giving buildings a new life. BlackbirdInvest.com. Blackbird Investments, doing what is challenging because it's
0: right. Thank you, Skeffington's Formal Wear, for sponsoring Dowling Catholic High School football. In business since 1951, Skeffington's Formal Wear offers quality service, style, and selection, providing tuxedos, suits, and casual groom attire for weddings, proms, and any other special occasion. Skeffington's Formal Wear, with convenient locations in Des Moines, West Des Moines, Davenport, Coralville, and Ankeny. All locations are family-owned and operated by members in their respective communities, fitting you for life celebrations, online at skeffingtons.com. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Gina, kind of interesting conversation today.
2: Yeah, I was very uh, interested in all of the information about how the court systems are working during this shutdown. I'm I'm thrilled to find out that the uh, federal court system uh, is so incredibly fluid and able to pivot to, uh, to continue to operate on the behalf of American citizens. That's amazing to me.
0: Well, you know, so I think most states, uh, I know Iowa does anyway, we have electronic filing here, so I can sit – in, in my um, bedroom slippers at night and file something in a case that I've got going. And I know that in a couple of cases that I've had uh, going on right now, uh, we've skipped some hearings. We've just kind of the attorneys have agreed uh, that uh, to continue the case or um, we don't need to have a hearing on this issue or that issue. And we just get a an order from the judge to go on. But uh, yeah, it is causing some havoc, but fortunately technology, and I hope the courts are better than my technology where I go in and out on you sometimes, uh, but uh, uh, the technology allows the courts now to do a number of things uh, that we wouldn't have been able to do just a couple of years ago.
2: Well, and um, I think it's interesting that Robert Muse is so intimately involved in all of the attacks against uh, the religious liberties and other liberties of people from Michigan, but uh, this is happening all around. You're, I, I encourage people to take a peek at your column this week because you really did a good job of highlighting what's going on in Kentucky and Mississippi, Chicago, Virginia, um, and many, many other states. Unfortunately,
0: right. that, that column, by the way, will appear in the edition uh, dated the 30th. Th- th- those are done a couple of weeks ahead of time April. because I'm a columnist. They have to have it locked in early.
2: Yeah. That's good I wondered if it was going to be this weekend or at, at another point so it's it's very good how you highlighted it I do have to point out though that in Virginia unfortunately there was a pastor who I don't know if you saw that but he had violated the um, the order to shut down and did hold services I think he's the bishop of an evangelical or, or order tradition in Virginia. Both he and his wife, following that service, contracted uh, the COVID, and he was later put on a ventilator. and On Saturday, he he did pass. Right. So, um, it it is important to not not protest these um, shutdowns on a. Um, in a reckless manner, I, I would right. say. Yeah, well, there's a great
0: deal of difference between uh, not going to a physical building where everybody's getting together and, and exposed to one another and then trying to shut down Uh, church services that are being held in parking lots where people are sitting in their cars and they're hearing over the radio what their minister or their preacher or their priest is telling them. And there's a couple of places where they've done that. And these people have received fines, major fines, $500 fines. They've had their license plate numbers taken down, given quarantine uh, certificates. And uh, now some of this has been knocked out because there's been a a federal judge uh, that just before Easter ruled against one of the, I guess it was one of the mayors that had imposed these fines. Uh, So the court, and and now Bill Barr, the attorney general, is coming down in support of these church freedoms. And so uh, I heard yesterday there was another mayor, I think one down in Texas, who, after that statement from the Attorney General, kind of backed off on what his draconian rules were in these things involving churches. And uh, some of it, I think, is, uh, is uh, I suppose, from a little bit of religious hostility, because these are people that are seeing that religion is not an essential service, but abortion is. Okay, um, going to a gun store is uh, is not an essential service, uh, and going to Target and not being able to buy garden hose, because you can only buy food and medicine there, uh, you know, th- these people that are making these decisions, they're going to have to answer uh, in court for these at some point, uh, not all those cases will be decided early on, but... Uh, they will linger on. There'll be cases that are that will be filed, and there will be hearings on these for the next year or so. And it's going to I- create an interesting body of law in the area of religious freedom.
2: I think Attorney Muse really was um, correct when he said that this virus shutdown has really um, allowed uh, individuals in power to be able to fe- feel out how much power can they really have, how much power mm-hmm. can they control. Those things that um, are philosophically in their window, you know, keeping an abortion clinic open, but shutting a church, you know, that to me is the classic example of how there's a, a dichotomy in the reasoning.
0: That's right. And uh, when I first heard of what was going on, he was the first one I tried to get a hold of to come on the show. And unfortunately, because everybody's working from home these days, it took me well over a week to finally contact. It wasn't until yesterday that we actually got in touch with one another. So uh, that was good, and, and hopefully we'll have more programs like this. But we're at the end of our time right now, and so let us end in prayer. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God thrust into hell, Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. That's it for now for Gina, Noah, and myself. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial, with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa
6: Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com,
0: and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.